this morning, and let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 this morning, and uh, let's begin with verse 16. Genesis 3 verse 16 says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face that shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather around your word in this way. We pray that you would, Lord, just speak to each of our hearts this morning. Lord, may you refresh us through your word, bless us through your word this morning. Uh, teach us, Lord. Uh, I pray that you would empower me now as I speak, uh, that you would give me wisdom and guidance that only you can give, that would be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would receive uh, all the glory, uh, honor, and praise this morning. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, last Sunday evening we started looking at Uh, This passage, verse 14 through to verse 19, which is, of course, commonly referred to as the curse. And we talked about the fact that there are, in fact, several curses here. There is the the curse to the serpent and to Satan, the curse upon the woman, and then the curse upon the man. Last week, we looked at the first of these. We, We looked at the curse upon the serpent and upon Satan there in verse 14 and 15. Let's just read those verses. It says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. In verse 14, of course, there we have uh, the, the curse directly to the serpent, the, the vessel that Satan used to tempt Eve. And the serpent was forever changed because of the curse. Uh, we read there in verse 14, it had to crawl upon its belly and eat the dust of the earth from that day forward. And, and we talked about the fact that more likely before this, it stood upright, it had limbs, it maybe even had wings, some people believe. And so it, it was uh, changed. Very, it's very... Um, uh, construct, if you like, the way the serpent is designed was changed because of the curse, and, and we see the serpent, we see the snake today as a constant reminder of the effects of sin, the consequences of sin that took place there in the Garden of Eden. And then we looked at verse 15, and we saw the curse to Satan. And in verse 15, God, of course, makes a twofold declaration. Uh, First of all, that there would be a constant conflict between the the seed of the woman and the seed of Satan. And and we talked about how that's an overriding conflict right throughout the age. Uh, The children of God and the children of uh, the devil. There's this constant conflict. Then also God makes a, a promise. A promise that the seed of the woman, primarily being Christ, 
would indeed crush Satan's head. Satan would bruise his heel, and we saw that's at the cross. Christ was wounded, but Christ would also crush Satan's head in victory, uh, which he did when he rose again victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And so verse 15 is that wonderful declaration of the gospel. It's the first declaration of the gospel in the word of God. And now this morning we come to verses 16 through to 19 where we read of the curse in relation to the woman and in relation to the man. And so first of all, the curse upon the woman. Verse 16 says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And so in verse 16, the Lord now turns his attention to the woman, his attention to Eve. Eve, of course, was the one who had first of all reached out and partaken of the forbidden fruit. It was Eve who was beguiled, who was tempted by Satan. It was Eve who gave in and then she took that fruit and gave it to her husband, you know, tempted her husband to partake as well. And here now in verse 16, we see the consequences of her actions. You know, sin always has consequences attached to it. And here it's no different. And Eve is told of two consequences that would be not just upon her, but indeed upon women in general from that day forward. And the first of these consequences is in relation to conception and childbirth. It says there in verse 16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. God declares that from now on there's going to be pain and sorrow in childbirth. He says you'll greatly multiply that pain, that sorrow. Now back in chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, God had blessed Adam and Eve and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. Let's just read those verses. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 27 It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so in chapter 1, God had blessed them and God had said to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth, to fill the earth with population. And so reproduction and motherhood was part of God's blessing. It's part of God's blessing that he'd given to, to the, the husband and wife relationship. You know, something that God had created to be joyous, to be good, is now marred by sin. That's really what the curse does when we look at each part. The curse really mars something that was originally good, something God had created for a purpose. And so something created joyous and good is marred by sin now. From this point on, all of her children and indeed all future generations are going to be born under the curse. Indeed, our children are born under the curse. And the entrance of every newborn child into the world would from then on be marked by pain and suffering. It's a perpetual reminder, isn't it, of the curse, of the sin there in the Garden of Eden and the effects of that sin. Every childbirth is a, is a reminder 
of those effects of sin. You know, there is also a sense here that in which these consequences shouldn't be limited to just childbirth, but also to the pain and the sorrow of rearing children in general. You see, for instance, you know, Eve, she experienced the pain, of course, of giving birth to her children, yes. But then she also experienced the pain of one of her sons rising up and killing the other son. Now, we all know the story, Genesis chapter 4, and we'll get there soon. But Cain and Abel, Cain rose up and slew his brother. Imagine the pain and the suffering that that caused her. You know, Eve had to to go through that pain, that sorrow of having a wicked son who rebelled against God. And then she had to have the pain and suffering of burying her other son. And so the curse brought with it pain in the bearing of children, childbirth, but it's also pain in the rearing of children, isn't it? The sorrow of children. There's, There's great joy in both. There's also sorrow now attached to both because of the curse. And the second consequence is in relation to the fact that Eve had acted independently of her husband. Now Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 to 22 tells us that the the woman was created by God to be the helpmeet for Adam. Let's just go back and read that, Genesis 2. And refresh our minds, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found and help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And so in Genesis chapter 2 we see that God created the woman Eve to be the perfect helpmeet for Adam, to be the perfect companion to make him complete. And then God brought them together in that wonderful union, the marriage relationship. They were made one flesh. Verse 24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so they were brought together in this wonderful relationship, the marriage relationship, husband and wife, one flesh. But you know, Eve, in chapter 3, she acts independently of her husband, doesn't she? Independently of her husband, and she makes the, the fateful, terrible decision to partake of the fruits, and then she leads her husband into sin also. And because of this, God now declares that from this point onwards, her desire would be to her husband, but he would rule over her. That's what it says there in verse 16 at the end. It says, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now the phrase, <clears throat> just make sure I'm in the right spot, yep. the phrase, thy desire shall be to thy husband, that speaks of the struggle, the struggle to submit to his headship, his leadership in that relationship, in the home. You see, the woman from then on would desire to be the head. The woman would from then on would desire to to be in charge, to be the leader, and struggle to submit in that relationship. Now, the commentator Gusick, he writes this, he says, This same word for desire 
is used in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 7 to speak of the desire of sin to master over Cain. And because of the curse, Eve would have to fight a desire to master her husband. A desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. And that's really the point of the curse. The curse means that from that point on, it was hard for Eve. A struggle for Eve, and indeed for all women, to submit in this relationship. To uh, submit to the position that God has placed there within the home. And it's important that we understand here that that the principle of Adam's headship, the principle of his leadership within the home as the husband, was already established before the fall. His leadership is not the curse. That was already established. And we saw that in Genesis chapter 2 when we read before. You know, Eve was created for him, to be a helpmeet for Adam. And they were joined together in the union of marriage. And in that relationship, the husband was designed by God to be the head of the home. That was his intention in Genesis chapter 2. But now the curse makes it harder for Eve to submit. That's the point here. Okay, the, the curse is not that she has to submit. The curse is that it's hard for her now to do what God ordained. It's hard for her to, to follow God's ordained structure for the marriage relationship. Now in the New Testament, we're told how God intends the marriage relationship to work. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sure we know this passage well, at least many of us do, but let's go there. Ephesians 5. <clears throat> let's read from verse 22. Ephesians 5 verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth, it, uh, nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and let the wife, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're given the, the clear understanding of God's intention for the marriage relationship. It, it's always been his intention from the beginning. The husband is to lovingly take the lead, and the wife is to lovingly submit to his leadership. It's a relationship built on love, and that was always God's intention from the beginning. You see, with the entrance of sin into the world, this relationship has been corrupted. It's, it's been distorted, and it's made so much harder to maintain. And there is a sense that once we get saved as believers, and now Christ is at the center of that relationship, that relationship is restored, isn't it? You see, if the wife is walking, a, walking in a sweet relationship with the Lord, and the husband is walking 
in a sweet relationship with the Lord, then both will fulfill their duties within the home as God intended. And the relationship will be restored to what God intended it to be at the beginning. And so there is a sense in which it's restored in Christ, isn't it? What was lost at the fall. You know, another commentator, he wrote this. He said, as a result of the fall, sin has corrupted both the willing submission of the wife and the loving headship of the husband. And that really is the key, isn't it? Sin has corrupted both sides. That the husband's loving um, leadership and the wife's willingness to submit. It's corrupted that relationship. And that's really what the curse is speaking about here. From that point on, Eve would struggle in this. And indeed, every woman would struggle in this. To submit to the husband within the home. His leadership, his headship, God's ordained order within the home. And so we see the curse of sin for the woman meant pain and sorrow in having children and rearing children. And it's also this struggle to submit to the headship of the husband within the home. Now secondly this morning, let's consider the curse unto the man. The curse in relation to the man. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read from verse 17. It says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return on the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. <coughs> You know, finally now the Lord turns and addresses Adam. Addresses Adam and gives him the consequences, you know. It tells him what uh, the consequences in relation to him are. But you know, the consequences that the Lord outlines for Adam here are ones that affect more than just him. And they indeed affect more than just men. They affect all generations. Men and women are affected by what the Lord says here to Adam. And you know, also the consequences affect the whole of cre- creation. They affect the whole of man's dominion. Everything is affected here. The, this curse here in verse 17 and 19 really is a curse upon uh, the whole of creation. That Adam in particular, and, and indeed all of us as his descendants, will feel and understand. In verse 17 it says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Adam Of course, he was formed from the dust of the ground, wasn't he? Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And so Adam was formed from the ground, the dust of the ground. And now the the ground is cursed. The ground is cursed. The, The very elements from which Adam had been made are cursed because of sin. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we saw, it's quite a while ago now, we saw that God, first of all, created the space, matter, time, universe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Space, matter, and time. And so the matter, the, the elements, the very basis for everything that God has made is now cursed. The curse here affects the whole of creation. That's the point we need to understand. It affects the whole of creation. Now, Morris, he writes this, he says that the elements themselves, the dust of the earth, out of which all things have been made, 
were brought under the bondage of decay and disintegration. And that really is the point. From this point on, everything is decaying. Everything is disintegrating. Everything is wearing down. There is a curse upon the elements, creation in general. And having stated that the ground here was cursed, God proceeds to state how this will affect the man. How does this affect his relationship with the earth, if you like? And we saw that in verse 17 through 19, <clears throat> which we read before. Let's just start. Uh, we'll read it again. Verse 17, it says, And under Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. And that start of verse 19, it says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. And so if you remember back in chapter 2, we talked about the fact that man was created for a purpose. Man was created to work. We were created to work. Chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. And if you drop down to verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And so Adam was created with a responsibility. Adam was created to work, to care for the garden, to dress it, to keep it. And so work is not part of the curse. It's a bit like what we said with the woman. Okay, childbirth is not part of the curse. The pain is. The submission of the husband is not part of the curse. The struggle to do it is. It's the same with the man. The, 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 having to work is not the curse. Man was created to work. But now you see, because of sin, that which was a joy beforehand, because of the curse now, is tedious and hard. That really is the point here of this curse. Verse 17, at the end it says, In sorrow thou shalt eat of it. In verse 19, it says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. You see, both statements speak about how tedious, how hard the work had now become. It was no longer an easy thing. It was a hard thing. It was no longer a joyous thing. It was by the sweat of the brow now to, to survive, to live, to grow food. You see, before this, you know, the earth, the ground, had cooperated with Adam. Before the curse, it cooperated with Adam. You know, as he tilled it, as he dressed it, it brought forth abundantly. It produced abundantly and easily all the food that he needed. But now that very same ground is cursed. And so that very same ground is now reluctant to bring forth food. It takes a lot more work, a lot more effort. And in fact, God also declares that weeds are now going to grow in abundance. That's what he says in verse 18. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. Thorns and thistles would now grow in abundance. And they grow easily. And we know that's true, don't we? You know, you leave a, a patch of ground to itself, and what grows? The thorns, the thistles, the weeds. That's what grows straight away in that garden. What grows easily? The thorns and the thistles, the weeds. It's not the, the plants we want. And that's the curse here. These things now grow in abundance and they grow easily. Commentator Clark, he said this, instead of producing nourishing grain and useful vegetables, noxious weeds shall be prolific, injure the ground, 
choke the good seed and mock the hopes of the husbandman. And that's the point. From this point on, instead of it being an easy task, a joyous task, it's now hard. It's tedious to produce food, to survive. Now, the question might be asked here, you know, in relation to the thorns and the thistles. You know, does this mean that God here creates something new? You know, did God at this point, in verse 18, create thorns and thistles? Well, the answer to that's found back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God, sorry, all his work which God had created and made. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 make it clear God's work of creation is complete. Everything God created was done in those six literal days. And on the seventh day, God rested because the work was over. And so this cannot be referring to a new creative act. It can't be. It doesn't fit with what we know. It is, however, clear from verse 18 that thorns and thistles are a result of the curse. They are a result of the curse. There's something new. So how do we explain this? How do we understand this? Well, David Catchpool, who writes for Creation Ministries, he said this, The answer lies in the observation that thorns, prickles, and spines are degenerative, mutant leaves, or parts of leaves that didn't unfold properly, leaf bases that have failed to grow into leaves or are left over when leaves fall off or failed branch development. It's easy to imagine a once perfect world without such spiny projections. But in today's world, mutations and other biological development errors are abundant and increasing. You see, the point is that the curse now affects the plant life. So the decay and degeneration has set in and God allows these mutations to take place. The very structure of some of these plants is changed. They now produce thorns and there's these thistles now growing. The characteristics of plants is changed. By the curse. Now Morris, he said this, God merely allowed certain plant structures which previously were beneficial to deteriorate into malevolent characteristics. And that seems to be best understanding. God allowed these things, these plants that were once good, had no, none of these characteristics to deteriorate, and now they have these characteristics. It's part of the decay, it's part of the degeneration, it's part of the curse that these things take place. You know, really, when we consider the effect that the curse had upon the serpent, verse 14, upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shall they eat all the days of thy life. When we consider the curse to the serpent meant that he now is changed completely to this creature that must go upon its belly, it's not hard for us to understand that the curse would change plant life as well, is it? It's not hard for us to, to understand that it's really along the same lines here. This very structure of the serpent and its descendants had been altered forever because of the curse. And the same is true here in the, the plant world. There is a change that takes place. Things are altered. The world is a different place because of the curse. Indeed, the effects of the curse are felt right throughout creation. Not just in the plant, not just in the soil. It's, it's felt right throughout creation. Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks about the fact that the whole of creation is in bondage of corruption. 
and groaning and travailing. Let's go there, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 verse 20 says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So there, the whole creation is under the bondage of corruption. It's, it's groaning, it's travailing in pain. The whole of creation was affected by the curse. And the curse affects it so that it's all degenerating, it's all decaying. And not only are these changes seen in plant life, but they're also seen in the animal kingdom as well. You see, before the fall, the animals, they all lived in peace. Before the fall, they all survived on plants. They were all herbivores. But now, as part of the curse, part of this degeneration, this decay, the animals now begin to prey on one another. We now have herbivores and carnivores. There is death now. There is destruction in the animal world, which didn't exist before Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 changes the whole outlook of the animal kingdom. Now, this decay is also found in the microscopic world. The commentator Morris, he said, similarly, bacteria and other microorganisms designed originally to serve essential functions in soil maintenance, purification processes, and so forth, underwent mutational changes which in many cases proved harmful and even lethal to other organisms into which they were ingested. Parasites and viral systems may also have developed in some such way. And so the point is, it affects every level of creation, isn't it? The plant life's affected and changed. The animal kingdom is changed. Even at the microscopic level, things are changed. And we understand that that is taking place even now. You end up with new viruses. We're seeing that in the world today. Where do they come from? Mutational things taking place. These changes in these organisms, these viruses, they change all the time. It's part of the degeneration, part of the curse that God pronounces here in Genesis chapter 3. So the point is, it has affected the very matter, the very elements of the earth. Decay, degeneration is set in. And it changes the very world that Adam and Eve are living in. You think about Adam and Eve for a second. Before Genesis chapter 3, they've been living in the Garden of Eden. He's been tilling and dressing it. It's been producing all this wonderful food. It's a wonderful paradise to live. There's peace, there's harmony amongst God's creatures. There is, everything is good. And then they sin, and from Genesis chapter 3 onwards, there's the curse now upon the earth. And they see these changes happen before their very eyes. They see the world completely turned upside down, go from this paradise to this place of death and destruction and decay. They witness this. This change in the world, this degeneration has continued ever since. In Hebrews chapter 1, it speaks about this. Let's go there, Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 10. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they, sh- they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. 
Now the earth is waxing old like a garment. It is waxing old, it's wearing down, and ultimately it will perish. Everything is running down. Everything is subject to this law of decay and death. It is a universal truth that all things, living and non-living, eventually wear out. They run down, they grow old, they decay, they pass into the dust of the earth. And the same is true here for Adam and Eve. Degeneration now sets in as their bodies begin to die. We see that at the end of verse 19. The end of verse 19 says, For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and as dust thou shalt return. God tells Adam that he would eventually return to the dust from which he was made. The process of decay had begun. His body was now getting older. His body was decaying to the point where he would eventually die and return to the dust. You see, ultimately, this is the result of Adam's sin, isn't it? It's death. Death entered into the world. I think Morris summed it up well. He said, instead of all things being made, that is, organized into complex systems as they were in the creation week, they are now being unmade, becoming disorganized and simple. Instead of life and growth, there comes decay and death. Instead of evolution, there is degeneration. This, then, is the true origin of the strange law of disorder and decay, the universally applicable and all-important second law of thermodynamics. Herein is the secret of all that's wrong with the world. Man is a sinner and has brought God's curse upon the earth. And that really is how we sum it up. The earth is degenerating. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. The further we get from out of it, the more things are falling apart. And it's all because of sin and God's curse upon the world. You know, Adam is our representative in the garden. He brought this curse upon all mankind because of his sin. Because of him, we're all sinners. But the wonderful truth is that Christ came as our second Adam. He came to represent us a second time and to deliver us from the curse. Let's just quickly turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're almost done this morning. Galatians 3. In Galatians 3 and verse 13 we read, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ became the curse for us. And we could look at how he fulfilled every aspect of the curse, but we don't have time for that today. But Christ did. He became the curse for us. Christ, the eternal, sinless Son of God, was made the curse for us as he suffered, bled and died there upon the cross so that we might be delivered from the curse. So that we might be redeemed and and set free from the bondage of sin. You see, because of what Christ has done, there is coming a day when the curse will be lifted and God will dwell with man once more. Revelation, let's just turn there. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 and, and verse 4. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
Verse 4, he tells us about no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. The effects of the curse will be removed and will dwell in his presence. In Revelation 22 and verse 3 it says, And there shall be no more curse, for the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more curse. We will dwell with him for all eternity. Without the effects of the curse, they will be lifted, they will be gone. What a wonderful day that will be. You know, while the complete removal of the curse is still some time away, it's, it's after Christ returns, after he comes again. As individuals, we can be delivered from the curse even now. We can experience eternal life. We can enjoy a wonderful restored relationship with God, even now, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did there on the cross. And so I trust that you know him today as your personal saviour. And you know what it means to have that sweet fellowship with God restored through faith in Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again today. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for passages like this. We read of the curse to the woman, to the man. Lord, the curse that has affected our world so, so greatly, Lord. And Lord, we can trace it all back to the sin of Adam and Eve, the consequence of sin. But Lord, we thank you so much that through Christ, Lord, that curse is removed. We can have eternal life, have a relationship restored with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to rejoice in that knowledge today and anyone here who's not saved, you work in their hearts so they would see that this is the answer. This is what they need. They need a personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray you work in our hearts now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.